Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel, broadcasting remotely. You've seen that quote from Mr. Rogers. Look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Today, Where We Live, we're doing just that. Coming up, we talk to volunteers, people around Connecticut who are working to make our lives a little brighter during this difficult time. And we want to hear from you. What are you doing to help your community? What are your friends and neighbors doing to lift each other up? You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, healthcare workers are the biggest helpers out there right now, taking care of people who have COVID-19 and working to keep others from getting sick. Joining me now via Zoom is Dr. David Shapiro. He's Chief of Surgical Critical Care and Chief Quality Officer at St. Francis Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut. Dr. Shapiro, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Make sure I'm not muted. I understand that you're a trauma doctor. So during this last month, what have your days been like? Well, our days have been similar to what they always are. Our volume of people coming in with car crashes is definitely lower. We're seeing that because people are staying home and not interacting with each other as much. But as you know, tra- most trauma surgeons are also critical care doctors. So we're helping out with whatever we can do in the hospital to help our pulmonary and medical critical care doctors get through their busy days. When you talk to your staff and when we think about staff at other hospitals, you know, this is a a very stressful time for the public, but you're also uh, doing a very important job. But you also have families that you uh, hopefully see uh, or uh, talk with uh, during the week, uh, despite these long hours. I mean, how is you how are you and your staff staying strong? Well, while I can't speak for everybody, I think that there's a, a, a sensibility about what's going on in the world, that we all know that this is our job. It's what we chose as a profession. It's what we're doing because it's our livelihood. And we have to be here and we have to be the so-called essential providers. There are so many others out there who are essential that keep our lives going and making sure that we have the supplies we need and the food we eat and all those things that are also just as important to all of our lives, especially that many of our families are now quarantined at home their kids are home from school, young adults are home from college, everyone is either furloughed from work or off time work or doing whatever they can to stay kind of busy at home. So what we do is talk to each other. We have the benefit of having this wonderful technology like FaceTime and even Zoom like we're using now that makes us communicate with each other directly on video. I send my mother pictures on her Skylight um, brand you know, picture frame as many times as I can a week so she sees that things are going on it helps people to communicate indirectly. Hmm. Uh, we know that everyone has a limit to you know, the, some of the stress that they might be carrying around. And so for uh, the people that work in, in your hospital, even for yourself, Dr. Shapiro, uh, when you get to that point where um, you need a, a break or you need a, a shoulder uh, to lean on, uh, can you talk through like what you're telling, again, some of your colleagues, people you've worked with for a long time when you've reached that point? 
I tell people to talk to each other. I think the most important thing is having the human interaction that we don't have the same way at the hospital. When we're here, we're working with teams, we're all together, we're doing things as much as we can while still maintaining kind of a professional distancing. But once we get home, people live alone, they live with um, families and they can't see their friends, reach out to people. And what I'm telling people to do is doing that indirectly. So instead of telling the nurse at the bedside to reach out to their family, I'm asking families to reach out to their nurses. Talk to your families and friends who are providers, send messages. I have a, a, a person I know who's up in um, New Hampshire, who's the father of a friend of mine, and he sends me a message every morning of a picture of his outdoor area at his house because he lives on a lake and it's beautiful and it brings me just peace and he just checks in every day. And he's done it for three weeks now and it's just a, it's a delight to see that every morning. It brings a smile to my face. And when someone sees me see that picture, they say, what are you smiling at? And I can show them someone sending me this. So when I see people checking in on each other, and again, my mother calls me every couple of days to make sure I'm still feeling well. Um, I think people need to realize that when someone reaches out, we need to answer that call. And that's for all of us, especially those of us that are home and feeling idle or feeling not useful. You're just as useful because you can make us feel better and feel good about the world around us. Things are stressful, but we have our families and our friends and our colleagues and peers to support us. Dr. Shapiro, talk more about how people in the community can support you and others at St. Francis Hospital, other healthcare workers in our state. I saw a Facebook post, I think, that you put up uh, recently where uh, you're asking uh, children at home uh, to send messages uh, to healthcare workers. Yeah, I think a lot of one of the most amazing things I've seen in the last few weeks is the Trinity Health of New England leadership. Uh, Dr. Reggie Eady created a um, kids kids teaching kids uh, about COVID. And it was a webinar that they created a couple weeks ago. Some of our staff members had their children involved. And these were these were children, kids from I think eight to um, eight to 14 years old or so. They were involved in a teaching other children event on a webinar that I sent to my brother-in-law and his kids and excuse me, my brother and my sister-in-law and their kids and other people I know who have children because people got to see what's happening at that level. And it helps when we hear that our children and our families understand what's going on because then they can send messages of either appreciation, thank you, or just we feel you and we understand you. Driving home the other day, I saw one of my neighbors put out a sign that said, just hang in there. And that little thing, I stopped by to say hello and she said, I saw your Facebook post. I put this up for that. That makes all the difference in the world. It made me smile. Somebody put a um, a photo, uh, excuse me, a handmade sign in front of St. Francis Hospital, I think about two weeks ago. And it's been there since. And everyone waves to it as they come in in the morning. And it's a sign that just says thank you to healthcare workers. But there are so many people in the state who are working hard, both in hospitals and nursing homes, physicians and provider offices, nurses, healthcare workers of all types, um, the environmental care services um, crews, the delivery folks, people who bring all the um, supply chain materials to, to the bedside. All those people out there are working very hard to make sure that we're safe. Police, fire, they can't go home. Uh, people are even working at stores that are supplying us with those much needed toilet paper people seem to want. They're there because they have to be there. And a little vote of thanks to them, a little vote of confidence in them and an appreciation just makes you make a little heart sign in front of your chest and make you want to offer them a little bit of love. So whenever I go to the store now, I thank them for it and I make sure they understand that other essential people are there too. And we all know we all have to work. The people who, um, who are labeled as unessential, they're essential to all of us. They matter to us because they're our family members talking to them, giving them frequent messages of, hey, I'm thinking about you. I know what's going on. 
goes both ways. And I want everyone to just keep doing that. It helps people to understand that other people are thinking about them. You're hearing Dr. David Shapiro on Zoom talking with us here on Where We Live today. Uh, he works at St. Francis Hospital. He's Chief of Surgical Critical Care and Chief Quality Officer at St. Francis. Uh, today's show is for the helpers. Are you finding ways to help people in your community during this pandemic? We heard Dr. Shapiro mention uh, that there are neighbors putting up signs uh, or people putting up signs in front of the hospital to say thank you. If you're one of them, we want to hear from you. Maybe you've called in an order of pizzas for uh, the the night shift at a local hospital or the day shift, you can join us 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I wanted to bring into the conversation now Deb Poulin, Poulin, rather, Executive Director for the Connecticut Association for Community Action. Deb, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Now, your organization works with seven community action agencies in the state. So tell us about some of the programs that you serve and how you've had to adapt. Yeah, so we have nine community action agencies, actually. And community action agencies have been around across the country for over 50 years. And what we do is provide services to people to help improve their economic and their social well-being. And these services are things like assistance with food, energy costs, housing, child care, job training, all of these sort of support services that help people improve their economic situation and improve their, their life quality. Some of the programs you mention have human interaction where you might be sitting in front of someone or, or uh, having someone uh, come to a specific place like a library uh, to pick up meals or to get job training. And so now that we all have to social distance, uh, tell us how these programs have been impacted and what are some workarounds uh, for them? Well, I'm really proud of the innovation that the community action agencies have been able to put into action right away. So all of the programs that I've mentioned, uh, for the most part, are still up and running, but they have, as you mentioned, had to change the way they provide these services. So whereas people used to go into a community action agency to apply for energy assistance or for SNAP, what we used to call food stamps, um, or for a lot of other case management services, we're providing those services by phone, by email. Uh, we're allowing for drop-off of applications And one of the biggest changes we've had to make is that several of our community action agencies were running congregate meal programs where um, older adults would go to their senior centers and have have lunch. Um, Obviously, we've had to change um, how those programs operate because nobody is congregating for meals at all anymore. Um, And these meals uh, all turned into being home-delivered. So they're all being uh, provided directly to people's homes through Meals on Wheels, and that's been a big shift uh, because these community action agencies were doing some Meals on Wheels programs and some in a congregate setting, and now they've had to shift to delivering meals right into people's homes. Some of our listeners might be wondering how they can help. Uh, Can you talk more about what people can do from their home? I understand there's even phone trees that people can access uh, to connect with people who are alone right now. Well, the best thing I would recommend is for people to call their local community action agency because the needs of each community might differ. So, for example, I know that CRT, our local Hartford uh, community action agency, is looking for volunteer chefs who have um, certain certification requirements. 
who might be able to come in and help provide uh, or put together these nutritious meals. Um, other community action agencies are looking for people to help at food pantries and diaper drop-offs. So there are a variety of different volunteer opportunities that vary depending on where you live in Connecticut. Uh, on uh, Twitter, Katie writes, she's seen a lot of red hearts on doors around my neighborhood. Lots of positive chalk messages on driveways. Again, that's uh, one way uh, to keep connected to people, even if you can't uh, be as close to them uh, as you would like. Uh, again, you can join our conversation today on Where We Live. Uh, we're focusing on the helpers. The number 888-720-9677. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. Uh, Rory's calling in. Rory, uh, what's your question or your comment that you'd like to share oh hi um thank you for taking the call i own hartford prince in downtown hartford um and so we are a small stationery store um and what we've been doing is actually having our customers order online and we are inscribing and sending the cards directly for them well, that sounds really nice. And so have you been getting an uptick? Are you he hearing from more customers that are looking for this, Rory? Oh, yeah. So we've sent out hundreds of cards um, for all sorts of occasions, obviously, tons and tons of birthdays, thinking of you, um, and the sympathy cards as well. Well, thank you, Rory, for calling in. And we do know Hartford Prince. Uh, it's a popular store, and we appreciate the work uh, that you and your family do uh, for our community. Again, you can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, before we head to break, uh, Dr. Shapiro, you mentioned ways that the community can help. Are there any, are there any other specific uh, requests that you'd like to see for, for people at St. Francis? Oh, I think specific requests aren't as important. I think we've had an outpouring at many of the hospitals in, in Connecticut and across the country receiving food for the nursing staff um, everywhere from the ER and um, the ICUs, recovery rooms, all the places that are acting as ICUs, not to mention all the support staff that are just keeping our hospitals clean and safe. Um, we have uh, volunteer groups in the area that are making cloth masks. And cloth masks, although there's some controversy about them, they can help keep the N95 masks that we wear clean. So we keep them over those masks. So those things matter. And if people want to make them and they're willing to, they need to contact the uh, foundations of the philanthropic organizations at the hospitals and offer them the opportunity to, to make them for them because we'll take them. Again, you're hearing Dr. David Shapiro from St. Francis Hospital uh, on Zoom. We want to thank Deb Poland for calling in Connecticut's Association, Executive Director of Connecticut Association for Community Action. Deb, thanks again. Thank you, Lucy. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There are other grassroots efforts taking place all around the state. I wanted to point to a story by my colleague, Connecticut Public Radio reporter Ryan Lindsay. She reported on a mutual aid network spearheaded by the racial justice organization CT Corps, which created a way to get food and resources directly to people in need through word of mouth and an online forum. You can learn more by checking out her story on our website, WMPR.org. After the break, we check in on other community across Connecticut, and we want to hear from you. How are you helping your neighbors, your friends, despite social distancing? Join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about the helpers around us during the pandemic. What are you doing to help your neighbors? Are there small actions happening in your community that are making a big impact? Join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Janice is calling from Griswold. Uh, Janice, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're seeing. Well, um, what I was seeing uh, about two weeks ago was that people uh, on our community forums in various uh, local towns were looking for supplies to make masks. Uh, Elastic had become the new toilet paper. It was unattainable in the stores, uh, and many of the sources where you could usually find that were closing because they were considered non-essential businesses. So um, I organized a Facebook group called Griswold uh, Masks for Heroes, and uh, we were able to uh, find sources, uh, manufacturing sources of some of the materials we need, um, including elastic. We found a manufacturer in Fall River called Norbert Corporation, and they actually donated uh, several rolls of pla- uh, elastic cording to us. Um, there's a company in Groton um, called Hillary Company that has been s- stopped their production of their usual um, uh, product, which is... Uh, metal fabrication for architecture, and they're just stamping out little uh, short pieces of metal that we can insert in the finished masks to allow them to hold their shape around the nose. And I've been kind of the, the providing the, the missing link in the supply chain. We've been getting the supplies to me, and I've been disseminating them out to uh, people who are stopping by and social distancing and getting them out of bins on my stone wall at my house. And uh, then they're they're delivering the finished masks either to me or to the agencies that need them. And we have, I, I haven't sat down and done the math, but I know there have been a couple of hundred. Mm. Um, and people are just so grateful. And, and the people who are making the masks are just so grateful to have something to do and, well, and they- feel like they're making a difference. Well, thank you, Janice, uh, for uh, what you're doing for your community and for calling in. Uh, a lot of people are mas- making masks and uh, joining us now uh, by phone, or actually by Zoom as well, is J.R. Logan, Executive Director of Make Haven, located in New Haven, Connecticut. J.R., thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I mentioned Make Haven. It's a nonprofit makerspace in New Haven. Uh, so tell us a little bit about some of the projects that you, that people are doing that are affiliated with Make Haven related to this pandemic, whether it's sewing masks or doing other things. Uh, yeah, so there's a big mask sewing initiative, the Cloth Mass. Uh, and we do have drop points at different locations, different front porches around the city. And uh, we've been using... Uh, Hangouts, uh, Google Meet, to be able to do uh, online sewing circles where people will get tips and uh, exchange best practices related to the various designs that they're uh, sewing. And uh, we can also contact people to to uh, use their network to source scarce things like, like elastic. Uh, another one is we've been, uh, our shop manager, Lior Trespin, has been uh, really on the, the, the forefront of trying to find solutions. And so we've made these little uh, shields that will help when the intubation is being done. And those have been uh, tested in Yale New Haven Hospital. So basically like a, an acrylic box. Um, we've also been making face shields uh, when the, that need uh, was brought to us. Uh, we partnered with uh, Yale University that had some really big uh, laser cutters was able to cut the shield pattern, and then we were able to uh, assemble and put together um, more than a thousand five hundred uh, fa- plastic face shields. 
And uh, most recently, uh, we have been able to connect with a, a team out of Israel who has designed a, uh, a ventilator, which is capable of being built inside of a, a community fabrication space. And we are uh, assembling a test unit to uh, understand fully the possibilities and our capabilities there. Uh, not something that we uh, you know, want to see used. The best case is that it's not necessary, but something that we felt we needed to uh, investigate as a space with mm. those sort of fabrication capabilities. That sounds uh, really great, considering there is a lack of the this kind of the PPEs as well as the ventilators. I wanted to bring Dr. David Shapiro from St. Francis Hospital back into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Shapiro, uh, respond to what we're hearing uh, JR say about people in the New Haven area uh, working to make these face shields, these masks, even examining whether they can make these ventilators. I think it's a wonderful idea that the, the fact that we've had so much innovation, even just so far, coming out of this pandemic is, is a, the light side of a, um, of a horrifying situation. The fact that um, even, and I, I don't want to call Make Haven small because I've seen what they can do and they're pretty remarkable. They are um, a small in stature but huge in impact type of organization that can do this. And if the materials are available and the designs are available that will satisfy the need, then people need to build. We have providers at our own hospital who've bought their own 3D printing machines so they can 3D print mask shapes, kind of a, a mask um, scaffold so that paper masks can be used inside them, which makes sense. So if people work together and figure out what they're doing and what's the best, best model, that's a fantastic idea. But the innovation right now is where it matters. This is the time to brainstorm and talk to each other and collaborate. So organizations like Make Haven and even um, uh, the, the woman that called in a few minutes ago, having an organization outside that's just an impromptuly created group that's deciding to source things and make things together is fantastic. That's how community works. Uh, J.R. Logan, uh, for people who are listening who maybe want to help, maybe they think there are certain supplies they have that could help people at Make Haven, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Yes, uh, the easiest way would be to go to our website where we have a COVID page and there's all the uh, appropriate contacts or there's forms where you can sign up to, to help. Uh, so that's just makehaven.org. Uh, or if you want to write a personal message, you can go email info at makehaven.org. Are you looking for more volunteers, JR? Of course, particularly in the cloth mask making. Uh, sewing is a, is a time-consuming effort, and there is a very deep demand for these masks. So we can certainly use individuals willing to learn or well experienced in uh, in sewing, and we'll we'll show you all the patterns and and how to do it. Speaking of which, uh, Sandy's calling from Hebron. Uh, Sandy, you're on the show. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to mention along the lines of the mask making initiative. Uh, my next door neighbor. We live in a, a retirement community. She's 90 years old, so she is definitely self-isolating. Her name is Inga, and she's making masks, and she's putting them in a container out at the end of her driveway and giving them to the neighbors for free. I just thought that was pretty special. 
Well, thank you, Sandy, uh, for calling in today. Uh, we're getting some comments on social media. Paul on Twitter writes, some Mansfield residents are making sanitary gowns for our local EMTs. We make them out of Tyvek from a pattern we're given by the fire department. Others are making dozens of masks. Kathy writes on Twitter, as someone who's benefited from kindness of friends who have, among other things, picked up prescriptions, delivered groceries, dropped off handmade masks, she says, thank you. Looking forward to returning the favor now that the doc has cleared her to leave the house. Uh, that's great news, uh, Kathy. Uh, also, Al on Facebook wants to shout out to all direct care workers like the Kennedy Center, Connecticut Center for Child Development, who help disabled people. Staff in this field are aiding patients with basic functions, often going into COVID-positive homes. They're considered essential medical staff, yet they don't get the same consideration when it comes to receiving PPE supplies or public respect. Al, thank you uh, for sharing that. I want to thank uh, J.R. Logan from, again, Makehaven. He's the executive director located in New Haven, Connecticut, for joining us on Where We Live today. Uh, thank you, J.R. Thank you. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. Again, we're focusing on the helpers, the people in our state making our communities stronger, despite the difficult time uh, many are experiencing. Now, I live in Suffield, Connecticut, and a couple weekends back, Facebook posts started popping up from around town, showing pictures of families on their porches. They were taken by my next guest, Rob Faber. He's an elementary school teacher, also a lifestyle and sports photographer. Rob, welcome to Where We Live. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Now, we actually don't know each other, but when I saw these uh, photos popping up around town, of course, I had to, to look into it. I understand that you're a father, and I mentioned you're a teacher. I assume you're busy helping your students with online learning, helping your own kids. How are you also finding time to do this particular photography project? Yeah, the, uh, it, it's such is life. <laughs> uh, if you ask my wife, I'm always, I've never sit still, and I'm always... Uh, I got to be into something. Um, so, yeah, the photography uh, for the Front Steps project definitely more on the weekend and after school gets out, you know, around four o'clock or, or so. I kind of get the itch and <laughs> go out and let some people know I'm coming out. Um, so, yeah, I have a hard time sitting still. <laughs> so you mentioned the Front Steps project, so people can search this hash hashtag on Instagram. Tell us where the idea came from. Yeah, so uh, it was brought to my attention uh, from a neighbor. Uh, she tagged me in a post on Facebook. Uh, it actually originated up in uh, Needham, Mass., so not too far away, um, by this photographer, Kara uh, uh, Solia. Um, and as soon as I saw it, as soon as I read the article on it, I was like, wow, this is perfect. You know, it, it's something, you know, that you can see. You can go out and see people. People can, you know, be part of it without being close to anybody. And um, I just ran with it. I, I threw it out there. I actually really underestimated the um, response. I, like a sign up where I only had like 10 signups for, you know, Saturday afternoon. And within about um, about 15 minutes, it was filled. And I'm getting uh, messages, emails. And um, <laughs> so kind of I scrapped the whole scheduling thing and basically decided that, you know, when I go out, I'll, I'll post a little bit ahead of time where I'm going to be and, you know, people to respond, you know, with their addresses or just tell me they're going to be out in their, uh, in their front yards or, or whatnot. Um, so it's it's kind of, I, I don't really do the, the scheduling part of it because it's tough to figure out how long it's going to take to get from one side of town to another. And uh, so it, it's been great. The response has been fantastic. 
And we should know, we should mention when you are walking around town and, and walking up to people's homes, people who've signed up or just standing, uh, waiting for you, Rob, you're still social distancing. You're standing about 20 feet away when you take their family photos on the porch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this whole six foot thing is uh, <laughs> a little too close for me. So, you know, I, I'm definitely at least 20 feet away. I've got, you know, one of my longer lenses on uh, that allows me to you know, be creative and be far away and, and be able to get what I what I want to get, you know, with, you know, not only them on their front steps, but, you know, part of their house so they can look back on this, you know, move in 10 years, five years, whatever. They look back and still, you know, see their house that they were in at this time, you know, in history. You're, you're helping boost uh, morale around town, uh, gathering uh, smiling uh, faces on porches, including their pets. But you've also uh, asked people to donate to the local community aid. So what kind of, of donations have they been able to see, Rob? I have, yeah. Um, they've, sorry, I found out a couple of days ago we raised about uh, a little over $3,000 so far, um, which is great. You know, it's People have asked me, you know, multiple people have asked me, you know, what do you charge for this? You know, how much, um, you know, can I give you, can I give you a tip? And <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. And it's just donate to something that, you know, where, where it can give back to the town. You know, some people can, you know, can give more. Some people, you know, are going to be relying on that, you know, that aid. Um, so I don't, I don't put out a specific number. I just, you know, ask to give what you can and to help out your neighbor. So you've been doing this for about three weekends and raised more than $3,000 for the Suffield Community Aid. Rob, that sounds great. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm blown away. You know, it's, it's, it's great to see everybody. It's great that, you know, people are contributing and, and you know, taking part of it. Well, Rob I, Faber, I we appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you walk, if you're closer to the Agawam border, you might see me. Thank you so much, Perfect. Rob Faber, for joining us. Thank and for people see. who want to learn more about the Front Steps Project, uh, where can they go to learn more about your work, too? Uh, they can go to my website, www.rj-photo.com. Uh, they can leave me a message there and uh, um, you know, find out some information. Well, we appreciate your time, Rob, and thank you for contributing to the community. Rob Faber, uh, calling into where we live today. Uh, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, and I want to bring back into our conversation Dr. David Shapiro uh, from St. Francis Hospital. Uh, we were talking with Rob about his photography, uh, and I was just thinking about some of the TikTok v videos that you've been putting out there, Dr. Shapiro. Do you want to share? Oh boy, I didn't know you'd talk about this, but that's okay. Um, well, one one thing briefly though, um, Rob's picture of there's a golden retriever he has on his on his, um, on his one of his pages, I think on Instagram, that is the most adorable thing I've ever seen. And you know, dog and pet pictures make everyone happy, so that's a, that's a good thing to keep keep doing on. But what Rob's also done is he's kept people who want to interact with other people in their homes. He's done exactly what we need people to do: stay home, and he's coming to them, taking a picture from far away. So people don't have to schedule an appointment. They don't have to go out somewhere. He's doing this out of the kindness of his heart and making a very big impact on the community. That's exactly what people can do. They use their talents to do something new and innovative. And that's just awesome. And by, oh, the, by TikTok, the way, we want to get, talk about yeah. that? <laughs> let's talk about TikTok quickly. <laughs> I was trying to deviate you a little bit, but um, so I'm a member of the Society of Critical Care Medicine Northeast chapter, and we created a TikTok channel to talk about um, things that are ICU related. And it, it, we slowed down a bit a couple about a month ago when things all started coming off with um, COVID because we wanted to focus on things like washing hands. But when people, you know, people can communicate through TikTok and while it's a social platform, there's been messages and messages and messages sent out there on all types of social networking on how to make 
things different, how to make things better. And hand hygiene is, is very important. Staying at home is more important. So doing the things that people are wanting to do on TikTok, like these silly little challenges, they make a difference. So you won't find me dancing on it, but you'll find me washing my hands on it and showing how to do things the right way. But um, those types of things make a difference. So people using the social networking they have to communicate with others and demonstrate what they're doing, I think is wonderful. Especially things like mask making and creating gear for our, um, our the real first responders out there who are EMTs, medics, firefighters, police officers out there in the community risking everything to making sure our patients in the community get better. If you're one of the many that's looking for ways to help your community or there are things you've already done, we want to hear from you today here on Where We Live. The number 888-720-9677. Marsha writes on Facebook, I'm an interfaith minister and I've been doing a Facebook Live every day at one o'clock with helpful tips to stay calm. This week I'm showing people different breathing techniques that they can use if they're feeling anxious or afraid. Uh, Marsha, that sounds like a a great service and the fact that it's on Facebook, uh, even better. Uh, to be accessible uh, to people. Again, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. And coming up after the break, they say that the only thing certain in life are death and taxes, even in the middle of an international pandemic. Big life events are still happening all around us. Coming up, we speak to two women who found ways to celebrate life and love during the pandemic shutdown. This is where we live. From Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Lucy Dalpathanchel. The pandemic has affected our lives in different ways, including celebrations like weddings. Coming up, we'll speak to a woman who just got married on Zoom. But first, joining me now by phone is Amanda Stanton. She's an East Windsor resident who is the CEO of Stanton Equipment, a landscaping supply store here in Connecticut. Her father recently passed away. Amanda, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, First off, I'm so sorry for your loss, and thank you for calling in today. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your dad. Oh, my dad was just a wonderful human um, in all senses of the word. He was a pillar in the agricultural community. Um, He has a loving family. Um, Our employees and our team here at Stanton Equipment just idolized him and loved him. Um, He was a very genuine and honest person, so he was very respected in our community as well. Hmm. Was his death unexpected? Uh, when I, I brought up that you were coming on the show, some people may wonder if he passed from COVID, but was he sick for a while? He actually did not pass from COVID, um, although during this time, it's um, definitely wrapped up in all of, um, you know, kind of the some of the chaos out there, um, which is why I decided to do the wake that we did. Um, so he did, let me back up, <laughs> he did pass away from a battle with esophageal cancer. He was sick for about 14 months. Um, however, we did think we had more time with him, as you always want more time with your father. Mm-hmm. And so you did something uh, to, again, celebrate him, celebrate the impact he had on the farming community, especially in Connecticut. Because of social distancing, it, it made everything more complicated. What did you come up with, Amanda? So we did a drive-by wake um, at our store in East Windsor, which was our flagship store. Um, it's the first store he started. We have three now in Connecticut. Um, but our East Windsor store is where most of our farmers come in um, and just chat with Scott and talk about the industry. So what I decided to do is have everybody who knew him, um, my siblings, me, our employees, our community, drive through our dealership. Um, people sent flowers. The response was overwhelming. 
um, and they drove by. And if you had a tractor or a classic car, he loved anything that moved, <laughs> anything with an engine. Um, so people drove just incredible old classic cars, classic trucks, and most importantly, farm tractors through our store that day. Um, and me and my siblings and some immediate family members stood six feet apart and waved to everybody. And um, it was one of the most power- powerful things I've ever experienced. That sounds really amazing, especially to see a line of tractors uh, driving by uh, to pay their respects uh, to you and your family. Well, Amanda Stanton, we want to thank you for calling into where we live. Again, we're sorry about your father's loss, but, but what a way to celebrate him. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we know this pandemic has affected other family gatherings in, in other ways, including weddings. Uh, so joining me now uh, on the phone is Lisa Tuttle, who I believe has been engaged for more than a year and a half and recently was married on Zoom. Uh, Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, yes. We, so, so tell us a little uh, bit about your story. <laughs> yeah, we, we got engaged about a year and a half ago, um, you know, and booked everything pretty far in advance and we're pretty on top of the ball in terms of wedding planning. Um, and then, you know, this all happened. So we had to quickly pivot. Um, I'm lucky to have a enterprise Zoom account so can get hundreds of people unlimited time on one conference call. So we thought it would be a good idea um, to get everybody that was going to be attending the wedding there digitally in our living room with us. Um, and, you know, I still wore my dress. Matt still wore his suit, and we exchanged our vows virtually. So the wedding uh, was supposed to be on, on April 4th, uh, so because you couldn't have an actual full wedding celebration, did the Zoom wedding happen on the same day? It did happen on the same day, yeah. We um, we did get all of our marriage license and everything in the works before uh, City Hall's closed, so everything was already ready to go for April 4th, so we wanted to keep the date because everyone else still had the date open, and it just worked out to keep our wedding day the same. So tell me what the response was from your family and friends when they got this Zoom invite. They were actually pretty excited. We, um, I think they were all very excited that we were still at least, you know, doing something um, and not just fully canceling it until the next year. Um, we, after the ceremony, actually put everybody into breakout rooms so that groups of five to six people could all talk to one another, almost like a table at dinner. And then me and Matt went room to room and said hi to everybody uh, as if we were going table to table. So that was a really good moment to be able to actually talk with everybody who was attending. Um, and it, it really felt it felt real, and the the response was overwhelmingly positive. Well, that sounds like a really fun day, uh, despite the circumstances. So, uh, when this is all over, uh, Lisa Tuttle, where will uh, you and your husband hopefully honeymoon? And will you have a bigger party? Oof! Yes, we're just pushing everything <laughs> exactly one year. We already had flights to go to Japan for our honeymoon. Um, which is obviously not going to be happening at the end of May this year. Um, so we're going to do that end of May next year. And our wedding is getting pushed to next April as well. So we're just delaying everything exactly one year. <laughs> There's, there may be some listeners who are in the same boat where their weddings have had to be postponed. Uh, what's your advice to them, Lisa? 
my advice is to honestly, my advice is to push it out as far as you can. We, we, when this first realized we needed to push it, we're considering pushing it maybe to June, July, even the fall. And we were like, we just don't know anything yet. We don't want to have to push it yet again and like get all these vendors on the phone again. So that's why we went so extreme and went an entire year. But honestly, it, it kind of took a huge weight off our shoulders. It's no longer wondering, you know, if or how or any, it's just all set and we're, you know, we can just continue on. Um, it really helped get rid of a lot of the anxiety. Well, Lisa Tuttle, thank you for calling into the show. Congratulations, and I hope thank you get to have you, that girl. big party. <laughs> this is where we <laughs> live. Uh, from, yeah, <laughs> this is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. You can join us too. How are you helping your community? Andrew's calling from Ellington. Andrew, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yep, go ahead, Andrew. All right. So, um, hi. Um, so over break, so my friends and I realized that. That we knew were uh, struggling and having to shut down because of the um, whole social distancing aspect. A lot of them could use help. So we also noticed that we knew a lot of people, and we figured that other people that we didn't know would want to uh, help small businesses because everyone kind of wants to, uh, everyone's kind of trying to um, help everyone out right now in order to help. Um, push through this um, crisis. So and so what are you doing to help? Yeah. yeah, so what we did was we created this um, website. It's called covidbiz.link. That's the um, URL. And what it does is so it's a um, platform where businesses can sign up and volunteers can sign up, and it kind of helps connect the two, the two groups. And so, like, if you're a business, you can list that you need help with, let's say, web development or accounting or like help organizing or marketing yourself during this um, crisis. And um, if you're a um, volunteer, let's say you work in something that has to do with that or you just know stuff about that a lot, you can also sign up and click similar boxes. And then um, businesses are able to track down and see a bunch of different volunteers who are willing to help them mm-hmm. in that, with that specific skill. So, Andrew, your your phone broke up. Can you say the name of that website again that, that you helped create over your high school uh, spring break? Um, COVIDbiz.link. COVIDbiz.link. Well, it sounds like a great idea, uh, Andrew, and thank you for doing that for, for your local community. Uh, also calling in is Deborah from the Makerspace in Hartford. Uh, Deborah, tell us about what you guys are doing. Good morning. My name is Deborah Sositsky from Makerspace CT in Hartford. And a few weeks ago, a group, about seven of us, got together on a Google Hangout and decided with very resourceful people, engineers, IT people, industrial designers, what we could do to help. And we immediately put together an idea for face shields. We felt we could help the community most expeditiously that way. Um, What I want to say is certainly an observation about how I, from my perch, have been able to watch the community come together. Volunteers to help make the shields, doctors that look at them, review them, and give us changes to improve the design, hospitals that talk about procurement and where our skills can best be used, families in their homes putting together pieces of the face shields, 
people that are volunteering to drive, commercial truckers that are picking up supplies. I just want to say how gracious and elegant it is to watch everyone volunteer hand in hand, sort of a bright spot observation to tell you from where I sit, I'm really proud of our community and how we're supporting everybody on the front lines, healthcare workers and first responders. Well, thank you, Deborah, for calling into the show, and you're absolutely right. We also got a comment from Arthur on Facebook that there are many makerspaces in Connecticut that are making PPE or exploring other ways to help, such as CT Hackerspace in Watertown, Connecticut. Uh, I wanted to go back to Dr. David Shapiro again from St. Francis Hospital. Uh, this must all make you feel pretty good, Dr. Shapiro. Of course it does. Um just seeing the community respond in the way that they have and supporting both themselves, because really this is about the community supporting themselves and having the hospital supported by it. We see an outpouring of donations of masks of all types. And, you know, most hospitals in Connecticut, as far as we know, are, we're okay with our PPE right now. We're doing well. But the important thing is that we don't know how long this is going to last. And if the projections are right and we spread out the disease and we're able to keep things flattened, this will happen for a while. And we'll be dealing with this disease for a, a long time, which means we'll be able to use PPE that people make and people create in new ways and be able to spread it around so that everyone feels protected. And right now, the hospitals are getting much of the attention for PPE. But someone mentioned earlier they're making um, isolation gowns for EMTs. Well, those communities, the home care communities you mentioned earlier, where these providers are going right into the home to help people, whether it's for medical needs, health needs, or simply community needs, they need their protection as well. So these things can help everybody makes all the difference. You know, part of the reason we wanted to do this show today, uh, Dr. Shapiro, is because, you know, a lot of people are anxious about the future because there are so many unknowns, and it's sometimes easy to feel overwhelmed uh, by that possibility that uh, people will be expected to continue to social distance uh, to keep themselves safe, but it's impacting people's wallets. Uh, many people have lost their jobs. Uh, what can you tell people uh, to remind them that, you know, it's okay to, to think about these things, but it's also important to give yourself a break to help um, space out some of these feelings so that uh, we don't become overwhelmed by them? Well, I, I think that the important thing is to talk to each other about things and making sure everyone understands we're all in the same boat. Whether you're an essential worker or considered an essential worker or not, we all have to deal with this pandemic. And learning from each other what's important and learning how to work with each other and do things together and I mean, people are playing poker online together. I don't know how they're managing that on Zoom or on <laughs> other apps, but they can do it. People are playing cards with humanity. Having those few moments of relief, of just an escape, whether it's watching a television program or seeing a movie together or spending time as a family eating dinner, all those things matter to people. So do those things. Um, my family, you know, we have our, our um, Seder for Passover. My family tends to have a Seder that's later in the, in the week because we try to make it convenient because we'd rather see each other then stay religious, but that's just the way we are. Um, but what we do is we're, we get together on the day that's most convenient for everybody. And it happens, I think this, my, my, my family's listening, I think it's Friday, but we're doing a Zoom Seder. And we're gonna try to read the service online and talk to each other over the thing and make our own meals. So I'll be trying to make my own matzo balls at home, but it makes me very, very happy to know that I'll be spending a little time with my family, even if it's online. So it makes a difference. Reach out to people. Don't be afraid to ask people for a little, uh, a few minutes on the phone because it makes all the difference. I also think there's something really important about reaching out to people you haven't spoken to in a long time. Mm -hmm. You're not going to, it's not that you're not going to see these people. People are going to be around. Many people are surviving. And the people that we've lost, it's very sad. But 
it also means that we need to reach out to those people who could be. So we need to reach out to people that we haven't spoken to, wish them well, ask them about their health, and it's okay to do that. Are you feeling healthy? Are you doing well? I can't see my mom because my mom's a little older, and um, no offense, mom. And um, I work in a hospital. I don't want to expose her to whatever I'm exposed to. So I talk to her every couple of days and make her feel like she's paying attention to me because she definitely does and haunts me about making sure my health is being taken care of. But it matters to her. So that's important to me. So if you're out there and you have a loved one who's out there, you're not talked to in a while, give them a call. Give them a little support. Tell them how much you care about it and you want to make sure they're okay. And maybe they need to hear from you as much as you need to hear from them. Um, people need to talk to each other and remember that we're all in this together. Well, I want to thank Dr. David Shapiro joining us today via Zoom, Chief of Surgical Critical Care and Chief Quality Officer at St. Francis Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut. Thank you, Dr. Shapiro, for your work and give our thanks to uh, the many people helping at Trinity Health System. Will do. Thank you so much for having us. Dr. Grover and Dr. Girardi and the whole pulmonary team are working their butts off. So the staff here is amazing. Thank you so much for having us. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. On the phones today, Carmen Baskoff, our technical producer at the station. Uh, very important that she's there. She's definitely someone that we rely on, Cat Pastor. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel again. Thanks for listening.